But we're in Ecclesiastes this morning in chapter 8. How we're continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes with Solomon's quest to use the wisdom that God has gifted him with to try to figure out why this world is the way it is and why it works the way it does. And what we see with Solomon is he continues to be frustrated with the, the data that, that keeps coming back. Now, have you ever really done that? Have you ever really applied yourself, dedicated yourself to try to sit down and just figure out why things work the way they work in the world? Um, you know, start out maybe in your home. Just look at your home and, and everything that's gone on there and try to figure it out. Or maybe your friends and neighbors or the city you live in, the state, the country, the world. If you were to sit down and really apply yourself, I think you would quickly discover that you can't make a sense of things either. Um, doesn't matter how much wisdom and logic you apply because the world is crooked and we can't straighten it out. Things don't often work out the way that we expect them to, and that's because we're living in a fallen and broken world. That's the reality. The virus of sin is, has corrupted the operating system, and so it, things don't work the way God intended them to work. So Solomon's going to teach us what he's learned from really applying himself to observing the world, and we're going to look at three observations this morning from chapter 8. First, he's going to tell us that living according to wisdom is a good thing. Second, he's going to say that Wisdom has limitations and at times will fail or fall short. And lastly, he's going to tell us that there's something better than wisdom for us to grab hold of. So we're going to read, it's, it's a fairly lengthy chapter, but um, we're just going to read through it so everybody kind of knows the context of where we're at. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence Against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. 
that man cannot find out what is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I know that a lot of churches don't go through this because it, it can be fairly depressing in tone, but as Christians, we know what's, what's really going on. So Solomon's describing life under the sun, which means life without God and what that means. It's meaningless, it's pointless, but, but we know God. So, so we have to keep that, that different perspective. Well, he's gonna start out by talking how living with wisdom is important. It's a good thing. He exhorts the blessing by asking a couple of rhetorical questions. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Have you ever known somebody who is really wise, the kind of person that you can go to with just about any question, and they know something. They know, they have answers. I like those people. They're really handy to have in your life. Uh, you don't run into a lot of them, but there's just some people that seem to have wisdom. Solomon goes on to explain what it's like when you experience wisdom. He says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face has changed. Uh, have you ever, you know, when you're trying to figure something out, the look on your face while you're trying to do it or trying to understand something, that kind of, that hardness of face that he's describing, you can kind of picture that. Like, hmm, trying to, and then when, when you finally get it, it's like, ah, your, your face shines. That's kind of those moments of epiphany where all of a sudden everything makes sense are the things I like. It, it's, it's good when that happens. When I was young, uh, I remember older people in my life had weird names for certain things. So my grandpa would tell me, hey, go grab that off the Davenport. <laughs> and I remember thinking, is that the porch? Is it, what, it sounded like a porch. I'm mean, that must be the porch. And I'd go out to the porch and look around. It's like, there's no thing there. And he's like, the couch, you know, you imbecile. Oh, the couch, Davenport, who knew, a couch. Well, there was this other thing that I never really understood. And, and uh, you, remember, you know what a dresser is, right? You got this box, four drawers in there, top drawer, you got your underwear and your socks, next drawer is your shirts, then you got the pants, then miscellaneous items. That's how they're supposed to work, I think. Growing up, they called these Chester drawers. Chester drawers. And I remember thinking, hey, wait, don't ruin it. And I remember, I remember going through life just thinking, why? Why would anybody do this? It made no sense to me. It made my face hard to think about it. Like, what is going on? And I, I just assumed there was a guy named Chester that was out, just handy guy tinkering in his garage one day. And he's like, honey, come see what I made. And she came out and went, well, that's going to be great for the kids. What are you going to call it? Well, my name's Chester, and there's drawers. You know, that's kind of how I put it together. And then one day, embarrassingly, not that long ago, I was thinking about it. And I just went, what? And it went, chest of drawers. I mean, it was like, pfft. you know, I, my face shone and everything in the world. I, it's sad that that's like my kind of epiphany. It wasn't like a Nobel Prize moment or anything. But for me, it was just like, just everything in the world made sense for a second. And, and it was nice. It's good when we understand things. It's good when we have wisdom. Solomon says this in Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain of her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. That's what it is to be a wise person or to enjoy wisdom. So wisdom is good. We should seek to have it. But it's one thing to 
have wisdom, and it's another thing to apply wisdom. And Solomon starts in verse two by giving him some very, giving us some practical ways to do this. And the first thing he says is that we should keep the king's command. Now, if you're like me, I'm thinking, well, that's convenient, Solomon, King Solomon. You know, of course you're gonna say that. You're the king, you know, why wouldn't you say that? But, but we need to understand that Solomon, not only was he a king, but he also saw lots of kings and he saw lots of kingdoms. And what he's saying is true. It's generally better for people to go along with what the king says than, than not to. The king here, by the way, represents those in authority. We're not in an autocratic society. We don't have a king. We're more of a democracy or a constitutional republic, if you want to get technical. So we don't have a king, but we have presidents and governors and things like that. It's just talking about those that are in authority over to us. And I want you to notice that it, it tells us to obey the commands. It doesn't necessarily say that we have to agree with the commands. There will be times when we don't agree with the commands of those in authority over us, and we won't want to obey them. We will want to rebel. Now, some of you are rule followers, and I applaud you for it. Good for you. There's some people that just when they hear a rule, they're like, yep, that's good. I got it. I'll do that. Okay. And then there's people that maybe aren't so much that way, like myself. I hear a rule, and the first thing that does is I, you know, does something to me. It's like, did you just rule? Did you just put a rule on me? I want to, <laughs> something happens and I get that thing that comes up in me. I have a good friend that um, I want to say his name, even though I really want to, but he had to go to the doctor one time and, and the doctor told him to drop uh, his trousers. And he looked at her and said, why? <laughs> and it's like, and he got fired. The doctor actually fired him. It's like, you can't, there's times when you just don't question, you know, it's like, cause I, I, I'm a doctor and I need to, you know, he just, why? That, that thing came up. Generally speaking, Solomon's letting you know that resistance is futile, right? We don't like to hear that, but, but it's kind of true. You can try the rebellious route, see how it goes for you. You know, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'll show them. Give it a shot, you know, see how it works. I've seen people not do it, and it seems like the man wins. You will pay. You'll probably pay more than you, you were supposed to pay, and you may even go to jail, you know, you can say, I don't think anyone should be able to limit my speed when I'm driving. Well, again, let me know that works out for you. <laughs> I don't like to keep the speed limit, but I, I realize why we do and why we have to. I understand why this is hard for us because I, like I said, I have, I have a little rebel in me. And it's especially hard since Solomon has already explained and, and, and is firmly established that we live in a corrupt and unjust world. Applying wisdom will help us get along much better than those who refuse to apply wisdom. He says the wise will obey authority. That doesn't mean blind obedience. It means that you just aren't, aren't always at odds with those who are in charge. You generally go with the flow. And I have known people who are this way, they go with the flow, and things typically work out pretty well for them. And I've known people who just can't go with the flow. They, they tend to um, not live their lives this way, and trouble has a way of finding them. It's just the way it works out. Now, it's very common today for people to constantly question and critique every decision by those who are in charge and in authority and, and try to make obedience optional. Uh, there's, there are TV shows you can watch. There are podcasts available where this just goes on 24-7. And you can buy into this, and it can, it can really start to get you fired up. Um, and you can jump on that same bandwagon. A lot of us fancy ourselves experts in these matters. And kind of think that if we were in control, we would have answers. 
the, the, the answers they all lack, we would, we would have. That's kind of the idea. It's kind of like that guy that sits on his couch on Sundays, you know, beer in hand, nachos in lap, yelling at the TV as the football game's going on, as though he would do a better job, you know, either playing or coaching. It's like, probably not. <laughs> but, you know, we, we think that way. I found that I have a very high opinion of my own viewpoint. I think I'm right most of the time about things, and if everybody would simply fall in line with my way of thinking and doing things, I think the world would be a much better place. Of course, the problem is, you probably have a very high opinion of your viewpoint, and you probably think very differently than I do about what would work. And that's why we have such a problem. We can't all be in charge, right? Think about the book of Judges, when every man did what was right in his own eyes. How did that work out? horribly. Somebody has to be in charge. But the reason that we get so upset with the idea of those in authority, two things. One, it means that we're not in control of what's happening to us. And two, we don't trust those who are in control. And if these things are true, it's no wonder we get upset. It's no wonder that we get into fighting mode and try to stage coups on our social media pages. Um, so we need, to, we need to find out, are these things true? It's pretty important that we discover whether or not these things are true. Number one is definitely true. We cannot control what is happening. <laughs> no matter how hard we hate that, we can't. And most of us have accepted that fact. But what about number two? Can we trust those who are in control? I know what my knee-jerk reaction is to that question. But it depends on how we view the sovereignty of God. I want you to think about the prophet Daniel for a minute. You remember the story of Daniel, young man living in his own country, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered their land and grabbed Daniel and some other young men, kidnapped them basically and planted them in Babylon and said, you're going to live here now and you're going to follow our rules. Uh, what kind of king was King Nebuchadnezzar? Way worse than anything we've had to deal with. This is the guy that built a statue of himself and said, bow down to it, or I'm going to throw you in a furnace of fire, fiery furnace. Get the idea. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what Daniel had to say about the authority placed over him. Daniel chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets kings up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel knew that God was in charge. Even though this corrupt king was now over him, he said, oh, the Lord set that up. That's a hard thing to, to, to think about. I like to picture, you know, God with a chessboard, just kind of moving pieces. Okay, I'm going to move him over here. I'm going to take, oh, I'm going to take that one out with this. I'm going to, you know, he's just, God's got this kind of grand strategy and plan. And he's way better at chess than you and I are. And there's going to come a point where he says, checkmate, and it's all going to kind of, come into clear view for us. But until that time, we have to understand that he has a strategy and it's better than ours and it's going to work. It's going to accomplish his purposes. So God raises up leaders, good and bad, and he uses them to accomplish his own purposes. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Have you ever played in a stream when you were a kid? You know, you kind of get in a stream and you can divert the water where you want it to go. You build a little, you get some sticks and rocks and all of a sudden you've got the water kind of going over this direction. It's pretty easy to do. Um, it's pretty easy for God to do this with a king's heart. 
It's a crazy thing to think about, but he can just say, you know what, I want you to have this. It messes with the whole idea of free will. <laughs> have fun with that on your own, but <laughs> just saying. Uh, but he can do that. He can just say, you know what, you're going to have a great plan to do this. Boom. And the king's going to, you know what, I've got this great idea today. He, he can do that. He can just change those people to follow his will. Listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar, I love this one. So the guy that was over Daniel, corrupt, horrible king. Listen to what he concluded. Daniel chapter four. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, including him, as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? <laughs> That's Nebuchadnezzar. He thought he was in control. And he realized, oh, no, I'm not. God is. So can we trust those who are in control? Yeah. If we believe that God is ultimately in control, if we believe that he has placed them there as part of his grand plan, and that means this, brace yourself for impact. When we complain against those in authority, who are we really complaining against? Ouch. You know, I, I, I was so convicted to think about it. If I prayed for these leaders, as much as I complain about them, they would probably all be saved right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, why don't I do that? So much easier to complain. R.C. Sproul once said, if you're going to put someone down, put them down on your prayer list. I think that's a, that's a good thing. So I trust in the one who is ultimately in control, and that helps me to go along with the king's command, even when I don't like it or understand it. Solomon continues with more ways for us to be wise in verse 3. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Uh, the idea is be slow in your opposition to authority. Don't just storm out of the room when authority shows up. That's what we want to do. And he says, be careful about your aligning yourself with an evil cause. All I could think about here was the Pharisees who, who came against Jesus. They thought they were being wise and doing God's will. And you remember, I think, I think it was Nicodemus, you can fact check that, um, Jordan will get me on that, who said, wait a minute, we need to make sure that we're not fighting against God here. We, we could be actually coming against God's will. And we need to make sure of that too. So if you're going to rebel against authority or go against it, you better count the cost, make sure that you've you know, talked to God about this. And, and you, might, you must have a really good reason to do it, I believe. Because God wants us as his people to generally have an obedient heart, not a rebellious heart. And I know the difference. I know when my heart is being obedient and when it's being rebellious. And you do too. So obedient heart, we want to follow after God. So it says in verse five that the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And I like that. When, you, when you're applying wisdom, when you're seeking the Lord, you'll know. You'll know when it's okay to do this because you're coming from a heart of obedience to the Lord and worship to the Lord, and you'll understand this. There will be times as Christians when we should willingly submit and obey the commands of those in authority over us, and there will be times when we have to make a stand even when the cost is high. So here's a good principle to live by. Willingly submit to the authorities he has placed in our lives unless they command what God forbids or forbid what God commands. If that happens, 
We can excuse ourselves. We can, we can walk out of the room at that point. But that's important. Are they commanding what God forbids? Or are they forbidding what God commands? As Christians, we have to answer to him first and foremost in that regard. So Solomon tells us that wisdom is good, that we should apply it to our lives, but he also acknowledges that it has limitations. Verse six says, there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. So this is the idea. It's like, okay, there's going to be times when I'm going to know what to do, and there's going to be times when I can apply wisdom, and, and, and yet, does that solve my problem? No. <laughs> there's still going to be times when you just feel the weight of everything on you. Verse seven says, the reason, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Uh, knowing that there's a way and a time for everything is a little bit comforting, but it doesn't completely remove the weight of the world because we don't know the future. Right? Anybody here know the future? <laughs> it's like, I'd love to talk to you. We can't see what's around the corner. And living wisely doesn't guarantee that it's going to be good. Now, we want to believe that if we do things the right way, our lives will go accordingly, but that's not always how it works out. That's how I want wisdom to work. If I do this and avoid that, I will get my desired result, right? That puts me in control of my destiny, but that's not, that's not how it works. So this is how we do this. When, when we have something in life that we need to figure out, we do our research, we, we accumulate wisdom, we consult our experts, we look at the data and the variables, we come up with a wise and foolproof solution that we feel good about. And because we've arrived at our position based on wisdom, we think it is the only correct option that will produce the outcome that we desire. That's kind of how I do it anyway. So for example, my wife and I, we had five kids and we had determined early on how we were going to raise those kids. We had a very clear idea about how that was going to go. And we were going to apply wisdom and our kids were going to turn out so good because I was doing it right. I will admit a little pride in that. Just kidding. A lot of pride in that. We really believe that. It's like we watch Growing Kids God's Way. We did the video series, read a couple books. We're like, we got this. We'll do this different than everybody else has done this. And we'll have the, the desired outcome we, we want and deserve even. So the kids were raised in the same house, the same parents, same rules, consequences, values, beliefs, all of it. Wisdom told me that they would all turn out the same guess what? <laughs> they did not. It didn't turn out quite like I thought it would at all. Now, I love my kids. I'm proud of my kids. They're good kids. Uh, they're adults now. I shouldn't say kids. They're all in their 20s. Um, but, but a lot of the things, you know, they, they have a sense of hard work. I like that. They have a sense of respect for people. There's certain things. They have great senses of humor. I love that about them. But there's certain things that I thought were going to transfer over namely faith in the God that I love. And it didn't happen with all of them. And it doesn't, you know, wisdom's like, well, what happened, wisdom? Why didn't that work? That's a hard thing. And, and here's the other thing that's true. Many of the things that I thought were wise then, <laughs> I would do so differently now. If I could go back and do it over again, man, I would be a different dad. So, so many things I would do different. But I thought it was the right thing at the time. And so this is the problem with wisdom. It's limited to what we have available at the time. We learn as we go, we collect new information and we adjust accordingly. And this means that the future outcome of things remains unpredictable even when wisdom is applied. And I just wanna say in regards to all the stuff we're dealing with now, 
in regards to COVID and all the stuff that goes along with that. I know we're all doing this. We're all collecting wisdom. We're all putting it into our box and deciding this is the right thing. This is what we need to do. And since I've decided this is the right thing to do, guess what? It means for everybody else, this is the right way to do it. Be careful. (laughs) Remember that we're getting new information about things all the time. Things that I thought were true, when COVID went through our church, I realized I lacked a lot of information, a lot of wisdom, and I'm learning. So I'm not telling you which, you know, which box to grab hold of. I am telling you this. Be gracious to your brothers and sisters. Have love and compassion when it comes to this stuff. Understand that one person's fear and, and, and reason for why they've decided the way they've decided is, might be something reasonable if you sat down and talked to them. So Let's all be careful and not, not get, don't do what I did and be so filled with pride that you think you have everything figured out. You might not. You don't. Nobody does. That's the other thing that's so frustrating. It's like, wow, I've never seen so much information come out that sounds contradictory at times. So anyway, as a little PSA, that doesn't count. <laughs> Verse eight, he goes on to explain other limitations of wisdom. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. The wickedness thing, he's going to, in a minute, talk a little bit about um, how it looks like those who are doing wicked things just seem to thrive and, and like they're not even going to die. They're doing so great. That's kind of what he's talking about there. But, but the main point that he's making right now is that the hour of our death is unknown to us. It's fully known to God, but it's unknown to us. You can't excuse yourself from the battle. You can't be like, hey, I'd like to discharge myself from this battle, please. You know, here's my papers. I'd like to get out of this. It doesn't work that way. You are in a battle and death's going to win. Sorry. That's how it works. Now, that doesn't mean we throw in the towel and just start, you know, eating butter by the cube, you know, by this, just, just start. We, we, I can't have butter right now, so it's, it's just fresh on my mind. It, it doesn't mean that we just start living in, you know, in a stupid way. Life will still be better when we live according to wisdom. You know, after, after finding out about my heart condition and all that was going to happen there, I changed everything because I thought, okay, I, 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 all the things that I needed to start doing, I started doing. I started eating right. I started exercising. People thought I would never start exercising. Can I get an amen? You know, I know. It's weird. But that kind of thing, it, it wakes you up. It, it gives you a reason to start doing things. And I feel a lot better because of it. So wisdom says that by living healthy, I will stay alive longer. But I don't control that. Even now, even though I'm doing wise things, I still don't control my expiration date. God does. And, and I need to rest in that. I mean, I think about that. This year, you know, how many chances did God have to take me out? Like he needs one, but I mean, how many chances did he have to take me out if he wanted to? operating table, the, you know, the recovery. I went into AFib. That would have been a good time to go. Uh, you know, COVID, pneumonia. I could just go on and on. Trees falling, you know, just landing on you. There's so many opportunities, but I'm here I am. So I have to assume, okay, Lord, it's not your time yet, but I don't know when the time will be. I can't control the ultimate outcome. When it comes to who lives and dies, wisdom falls short again. I've known people who are the epitome of health. They do everything right. They eat all their lives. They've done it right. And they die of a heart attack at an early age. And then you've got people like Pastor David. And he won't mind me saying this. I've known this guy for over 20 years. And I've watched him eat more deep fried food than any human should eat. (laughs) He used to just see what could be deep fried, just to see what it would taste like. I mean, seriously, his idea of exercise is just to buy a bigger Bible to lug around. (laughs) 
it, it, it's not, I'm not making it up. He has a 17-point Bible. You can read it from, it's like, you know, in the beginning. It's that, and it's huge. That's, that's what he does now. You would think this guy would weigh 300 pounds, and they, when he goes to his doctor, they would say, what are, what are you thinking? But they say, keep up the good work. And I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. This is a phenomenon scientists refer to as Keith Richards syndrome. It's like, the guy should not be alive. And yet, look at him. Look at him go. Sorry for, to put that image in your mind on a Sunday morning. I was probably wrong. Next, Solomon's going to point out where wisdom falls short with one of the, big, the biggest problems we see in the world, and that's the problem that injustice exists. So jump down to verse 14. He says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this also is vanity. So he's, he's basically saying good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, and it shouldn't be this way. How do we explain this? And this is something that, you know, this isn't going to be a satisfactory answer by any means, but it's something that a lot of people struggle with. It's the reason a lot of people don't even come to Christ. They say that they have such a problem with this idea. But we need to remember that when we see wickedness win and righteousness fail, it's simply a reminder that we live in a broken world that has been corrupted by sin. And we broke it. We did this. God's creation didn't start this way, and it's not going to end this way. But, but for now, there will be times when the outcomes don't make any sense, and conventional wisdom will be un unreliable. So it, I hope that makes sense, but I look at God's good creation. Everything was good. No sin, no death, no disease, no corruption, no injustice. Sin entered the world through man and woman, and then you see at the end, after Christ comes back, no sin, no death, no, no injustice. Again, that's God's perfect will. What's in between there is what we have done. Now, he gives us examples of this in verse 10, this idea of the righteous failing and the, and the wicked winning. Um, he says, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. So this idea of these people that are wicked, they're evil, and yet they, they, they're walking in, in and out of churches and people are just okay with it. They're honored in life, they're, they're honored in death, and nobody seems to even notice. And I couldn't help but think about the prosperity gospel stuff that I hate. And these people that are just robbing people of their money and taking advantage of the gullible and doing it all in the name of Christ. And, and it looks like they're winning. And, and it bothers me. But I know that's not the case, that there will come a day when, the, when there's a reckoning that occurs. But the idea here is what Mark Dever points out in his book called The Ungodly. Justice deferred is an encouragement to practice evil. Right? And that's what he means in verse 11, where it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is fully set to do evil. Somebody once said, if sin had immediate consequences, it would have fewer takers. And it's true. If, if you knew that the minute you, you did something, the consequence came right then, it would, it would help me out a lot in some ways. Be like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. That, that, was, that was painful. But when it doesn't happen right away, you think, oh, I might be getting away with something here. You know, this, this, might, this might go. And that's, that's what you know, people think they can get away with murder at times because it doesn't happen right then. The truth is we don't take sin seriously enough. But God does. He took it seriously enough to send his son to the cross to die for it. And when I think about that, when I think about how seriously God took it, 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 it makes me want to take it more seriously as well. 
It might look like people are getting away with their sin, but one day they will stand before a holy and just God and, and give an answer for the things that they have done. And when that time comes, we will take sin seriously too. So we can see and understand the struggle that Solomon is having as he observes these injustices. And I love what he says in verse 12 because he has to now contrast what he's seeing and what he's feeling with what he knows to be true. Okay, look at what he says. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. If we only base um, things on the way we see things in the world or how we feel, we're going to get you know, spun around the axle over and over and over again. But if we base things on what we know to be true, it changes everything. I, I know. And, and so even the songs we sing sometimes, uh, we choose not to sing songs that talk about how we feel. Because you can walk in here on, on a certain morning and, and have a really hard time saying, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. I'm devoted to you. I will never sin again. I mean, there's, there's songs that kind of do that. And I'm thinking, well, that ain't me this morning. So I have to talk about what I know. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I mean, you, you know, that's what we sing about, what we know to be true, and we stand on that. And that's what Solomon has to do. He's basically saying, I don't understand why these things happen, but fearing God is the right thing to do. Because fear displays what you're really worried about, what you're bowing to. And a lot of people are worried about a lot of things right now, which means those things have control and power over you. They're driving the bus in your life instead of God. Think about what are you most fearful about right now? You know, I've been observing things over the last year or two, and, and I've seen two things that really stand out to me as far as what I see Christians fearing and how I see it impacting their lives. And this is kind of where uh, toes are going to get stepped on, and, and maybe you're going to get upset with me, but I feel like it would be wrong of me not to say it. So the, the first thing that I see Christians just fearing is the fear of getting sick. And the second one that is the fear of losing our rights. These are the things that seem to have everybody occupied right now. And, and, and the weird thing is they've been pitted against each other in the church. So you've got the people that are saying, I, you know, my health, my health, my rights, my rights. And you see this division that's happening in the church. People are leaving churches over this. People are walking away from their brothers and sisters in Christ over this. And it's heartbreaking. And it's wrong. I'm surprised churches haven't started doing two services, you know, a health service and a right service. It would probably work. We have to find a way to love one another, to be unified the way Jesus commands us to, wants us to, as his children, and to figure this out. And that means we're going to have to have more grace and more compassion for one another. Now, I want to say this before you pick up stones and, and um, you know, get, get too mad at me. We need to apply wisdom still. Wisdom is still good. Even though these are th things that seem like they're outside of that, no, wisdom is still good. God's given us common sense. Health is good, and rights are good. We should work to protect them both within reason. <laughs> we just need to keep them in the proper perspective and not make either of those things the ultimate thing. 
Bow to the God that is ultimately in control of your health and of your rights and of your future and trust him with his plan for those things. If he takes either of them away, it's okay because I don't lose him. And I believe he's good and I believe he's working out his plan. So I don't have to constantly live in fear. I'm not scared of getting sick and I'm not scared of losing my rights. I'm scared of God. And I know that might sound weird, but he is almighty. He is holy. That's who I'm afraid of. And if I said that a different way, maybe you'd, you'd, you'd get it better. I'm not trusting in doctors and medicine, and I'm not trusting in politicians and laws. I'm trusting in God Almighty, the one who can save me from whatever comes. That's where my trust lays. You know, some, I was talking to a young man in church a couple weeks ago, or he met with me during the week. He wanted to talk about the book of Revelation of all things, and he had all these questions for me that he wanted me to answer, and he was, you know, probably walked away going, well, that was a waste of time, because <laughs> it's Revelations. But he was, he was asking me about the two witnesses, and I'm not going to tell you who the two witnesses are. Don't get excited. So maybe it was Moses and Elijah. I don't know. It's not me. I don't think I'm one of them. You know, you can, you can rest easy there. But do you remember the story of these two? God said, I want you guys to go into the world and do something. Well, the world's a scary place. How are we going to do this? They're all going to come against us. What did God do for them? He completely protected them to where no harm could come to them until he decided to stay his hand and, and, and allow harm to come to them. So they did the work that he called them to do very effectively. And then the time came where he said, okay, protection's off. And what did the, what did the world do immediately? Killed them. What happened three and a half days later? <laughs> they got up. They, I mean, and, and, and you picture every news media outlet in the world has got cameras on these dead bodies. They're rejoicing that the two witnesses are dead. And then they like get up. Is that all you got? That's who our God is. This is what he's capable of. Do we believe that? All right. I think we forget that he's what he's capable of way too often. Our God is mighty to save. He, he doesn't have any problem doing it. So Solomon's taught us that wisdom is good, but that we can't fully rely on it because it has limitations. So now what do we do? If we can't rely on wisdom, what do we grab a hold of? In, in verse 17, he says, I saw all the work of God that man can't figure it out. I mean, he starts to realize God's at work. Even though we can't figure it out, we can't see what's going on. We understand that that he's, he's at work. And that, that's really what he's keying in on. So he's, he's going to just, I'm just going to summarize that section. Life is full of things we can't make sense of and can't explain. We can exhaust ourselves trying to get to the bottom of it. We can choose to focus all of our energy on, on all that's wrong in the world and be consumed by that. Or we can choose to put all of those things into God's inbox and rest in him and trust him and enjoy him. I, I literally like to think of that picture of God's desk and his inbox that I can just walk into with all my stuff and be like, here, you take care of that, please. There's a point where knowledge must give way to faith. It's good to put wisdom into practice, but it's critical that we put faith into practice. It's not an either or scenario. It's a both and scenario. And so there's, you know, there's these two parallel lines of human responsibility and God's sovereignty, and they just run right next to each other, and they, they look like they shouldn't even be in, in the same room together, and yet they are. They're real. Be wise, but ultimately put your faith in God. 
There's something great when that happens, when we, when we can just rest in him, knowing who he is and, and what he's doing. It makes our face shine, just relax and shine when we know that to be true. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So start to think about what goes in your inbox and what goes in his. I'll give you a clue. He does most of the heavy lifting in this, right? I put almost everything in his inbox now because if I'm worrying about it, if I stop worshiping, I know that I've gone wrong, right? The minute I start to worry, oops, I'm doing something that needs to go in his again. If I'm worshiping, I'm in good shape. Do you believe that God is in control? You know, I, I bet if I were to ask for a, a raise of hands in the room, you know, do you believe God is in control? Everybody would probably raise their hand. But it doesn't seem that that's really playing out in our lives. You know, it's kind of like, have you ever noticed that the world, to comfort themselves, people that aren't Christians will say, oh, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> it's like, that really gives you comfort? What is that based on? Who's, who's, who's like making that work? I mean, karma is kind of one of the ideas. It's like, well, I'll just throw things out into the universe and, and I think I'll get good things back from the universe. It's like, that's really what you're banking on? <laughs> that's not good. That shouldn't comfort you. Everything happens for a reason. But, but if we believe God is in control, believe it to the core of our being, that's firm ground to stand on. So wisdom is good and we should use it. Sometimes it will fall short. And when it does, we have something better to grab hold of. Almighty God, who is awesome, who is accomplishing his plan, and his plan can't be thwarted. The God who is in control, even when it may look like he's not. And there's no better example of this in the Bible where it looked like wisdom failed and God didn't know what he was doing than the cross. Ever think about that? It's the greatest example of seeing God's wisdom in action because it looks like a complete Tragedy, humanly speaking. It goes right along with what Solomon would call vanity when he talks about, you know, there, there's, I see good things happening to righteous people. And uh, I'm sorry, I said they were on good. You know what I'm saying. I'll read it. Let me read it. That's better. <laughs> when in doubt, read the text. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Do you understand that that's how salvation occurs? That very thing that perplexed Solomon is what saves us. The righteous one got what I deserved. And, and, the, and the evil one got what he deserved. Jesus took my sin upon himself and he gave me his righteousness in one of the greatest exchanges that's ever taken place. It doesn't make sense. And yet that's the gospel message that, that Jesus took your place. He was your substitute the greatest injustice the world has ever seen was Jesus on the cross, and that's what saves us through the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, foolishness to man, but it's the wisdom of God. I love the book of Solomon because it, it reminds me of, there's so many people out there right now that, that are lost, struggling, trying to figure things out. Solomon, the wisest, richest man ever, couldn't figure it out apart from God. We know the answer, and we have the opportunity to take this out into the, the world around us and plead with people to come to Christ. 
I know you don't like homework, but pray for opportunities this week. Pray that God will lead you into somebody's life that's looking for light in a really dark world right now and be that light. Hopefully they, they see this face shining, walking towards them. It's like, what's going on? And you'll have an opportunity to talk about the wisdom of God in, in, in his son, Jesus. Father, we're grateful for, um, for this day and this time. We pray, Lord, that you would take your word through your Holy Spirit and apply it to our lives in a way that would transform us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.